so why is it, uh, if you're in a car with your family and you're headed to somewhere important, a social gathering, you're, you're maybe going to a wedding, a funeral, uh, maybe a recital of some sort, some sort of important, you know, social gathering, what is with it that chaos ensues? You know, if you're headed to McDonald's or the park, it's not like that. But for some reason, when you're headed to this thing, it's, it's like there's going to be people who are watching. Why is that? There's this odd sort of societal pressure that we choose to accept, and we don't know why, that, that somehow people are going to be watching, or people will see somehow, or, or, or somehow there, there's going to be a consequence, or some sort of societal shame that, that if we don't have it all together, there's going to be some sort of judgment on our family. But the thing is, we all know that at home, as well as in the vehicle, that's the true us. Which, this is a great display for what we're talking about. This is real life. And and if people could just get a picture of what we're like at home or in the car, they would see the real us. But we fight so, so hard because society's watching. They're going to make a judgment on us. Got to have it all together. Got to appear right. Believe it or not, Jesus' family struggled with the same thing in the first century. And we've been going through a series called Gospel of Conflict, looking at Mark's gospel. And today we're looking at the conflict of family. And, and you see, everything was good for Jesus and his family when the first 10 years of his adult life, when he was just the carpenter's son, and he was doing the family trade, and life was good. But all of a sudden, Jesus started doing radical things, saying radical things, and all of a sudden, the family didn't quite know what was going on. No one really knew what was going on, and they're struggling with that, and they don't know what is going on with Jesus. (laughs) Because if you look at it, scholars believe that Joseph had died, Jesus' dad had died early on, maybe in his late teens, and as the firstborn, Jesus took on the family trade. This this was fine. This was a good life. And they knew that somehow, at some point, they were going to become a Messiah. But we look at Mark 3.21. If you look at Mark 3.21, we can see the family's perspective when Jesus is changing everything. We're only three chapters into the gospel account here when Jesus is teaching radical new ideas. He's doing things. He's hanging out with sinners, with, with, with people with shady lifestyles. And, and he's supposed to be this rabbi, this teacher, this holy person, but he's hanging out with riffraff. And this is hard to understand. And, and, and in John 3.21, we actually actually see here that his family was was trying to bring him back home because it's like he's losing his mind. This is not the Jesus we knew. He's going to get himself into trouble. The things he's saying and doing, he can't. He's losing his mind. We got to protect our Jesus. The family doesn't know what's going on. The reason they didn't want to go, didn't know what was going on is because of family expectations. You see, the family looking at, looking at Jesus at that time, they either wanted Jesus to be the tradesman that they knew and loved, and he could just keep doing that. Or they wanted him to be what society was expecting him to be. 
You see, Mary knew she was told that he was going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of Kings. She knew that was coming, but society perceived that the Messiah, the the Savior of the world was supposed to be this military, political leader that was going to conquer everything and repel and and obliterate the Roman occupation and, and that God's people would reign once again. This is what they perceived. And so from the family, they're conflicted. Jesus, either be the trades when we know or be the Messiah that society wants. Be the Savior that society wants, but you're being this thing that we don't know what it is. But the family reality was is that Jesus was actually becoming the Messiah, the Savior that humanity needed. And they didn't know how to deal with that. They thought he was losing his mind. One theologian puts it this way, says, Jesus was not pursuing a career and did not have a stable income. Therefore, he may not have been contributing sufficiently to the family finances. Second, Jesus kept bad company, the riffraff we already established. Even worse, he had offended the leading religious authorities. It could be said that his recent activities border on the irresponsible. And some members of his family had already tried to restrain him. There was no signs of improvement. All indications pointed to the probability that things were going to get worse. You see, just like now, the first century family experienced societal pressures. And they experienced it more. They knew that Jesus was different. They knew that, he had, that God had a plan for him, but they had already placed in what it was supposed to be. So Mary and the brothers, they're feeling society's pressure on what their family should be and what Jesus should be, and they're struggling. And then it gets worse. Jesus says something in a crowded house of his followers and skeptics and religious leaders that just blows everything out of the water. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to Mark 3 this morning. Now, if you don't have a Bible app, I encourage you to get one. There's some information on the screen, the Faith Life Study Bible, and you can have your Bible wherever you go. Uh, I strongly encourage you to get that. Sometimes you don't always have a Bible with you, but you can always look stuff up. And uh, yeah, so go ahead and do that. And we're going to be in Mark 3, Mark 3, 31 to 35. Now, if you do have a Bible with you, but you're unfamiliar with it, it's all good. There's a table of contents in the front, and you just look up Mark, and then you can scroll to the page number there, and then take a look. It's roughly about the last third of your Bible, if you look there and see mine. Okay? So, Mark 3. Again, this situation. The family thinks Jesus is losing his mind. They don't know what he's up to. Here's what happens. Verse 31, it says, And his mother and his brothers came standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Your family wants you. You should probably go out and see what they want. Pretty, you know, would expect that's what he would do. He does it. He does something radical. He actually says, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? What? You know who they are. They're outside, Jesus. And then he said, and looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers adds to that. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. You see, in these words, Jesus brings the conflict of family right 
front and center to society's face. Because first century society, much like our own society, there, there is likely no one person important. If you're a firstborn son or if you're a son at all, there should be no one more important than mama. Any amens out there? Mama says, come here. Son says, yes, ma'am. Right? That's how, and, and it works like that in our culture. Well, in the first century, even more so. This is a big deal. Society would have expected Jesus, your mom and brothers want you. You should probably pause what you're doing and come out. For me as a preacher, there's, there's probably two people on this planet that could interrupt what I'm doing right now. One's in the crowd, the other's in Ontario. But if she showed up and one of the elders walked on and says, your mom wants to talk to you, you know, I might have to call Katerina and the team back. You guys are going to have to figure out a song because my mama wants me, right? This is, this is the expectant thing. And Jesus radically changes that. Like, let's think about being Mary for a second. There's a special relationship, a special bond between a mother and a son. And think about what she feels. She has sent in, she's already worried about her son. The authorities are out to get him. He's talking crazy stuff. He's not becoming what she was told by the angel before he was born. She's been through a lot. Birth in a stable, remember that at Christmas? That's a big deal. Also, keep in mind that there was an evil king that wanted to kill her son, and she had to flee away to Egypt with Joseph, and Joseph's now died, and he's the firstborn, and he's got to take the family trade and take care of mama, and all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, who's my mother? She's probably screaming, I'm your mother. Get out here. Think of the embarrassment that she felt. Think of the loss of the relationship. That's it. It's done. If I can't even call Jesus out of this house, what, what am I supposed to do? She turns to the brothers. What are we going to do with your brother? All right. Uh, James, Jude, maybe others, they're probably just a little bit frustrated and angry. Jesus is the firstborn <laughs> in, in first century Jewish culture. You take the family trade. He's probably their boss in the trade, in the carpentry or masonry trade, the building trade that they're in. And, and think of how they're feeling. They're like, what are you doing, Jesus? We're here with mom. And she wants you. Get out here. We've been listening to mom for three weeks. moment. They've been through this. So at the beginning, maybe Mary and Joseph told the brothers, your oldest brother is going to be the savior of the world. He's going to be the Messiah that we've been waiting for, for centuries. And he's going to rise up. And maybe these brothers believed the same thing society expected. Maybe they believed, yeah, no, he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to bring our people into its glory. That, th may, maybe this is what they perceive because now they're expecting disappointment. Because at this point, maybe they had, right? Maybe they had a little bit of a vision of being royalty, right? You know? Who doesn't want to be Prince Henry, right? You know? So they're looking, they're like, Jesus is going to be the king and we're going to be in the courtyard, none of this building stuff. You know, we don't know for sure, but maybe they, they perceived what 
future glory and future royalty was going to look like being the brother of Jesus. Because all of society, that's what they perceived. And that's what maybe they perceived as well. And it wasn't happening. And Jesus is now rejecting them and saying, who are my mother and my brothers? They're all right here. It's these strangers in this room. Didn't you know? Well, there's another viewpoint though too. There's a secondary conflict here, not with just society, but with authority. Because keep in mind, these religious leaders, they have been just deeply desiring to kill Jesus. Jesus is teaching radical things. And these religious teachers, they've, they've got the people in bondage. They've got them controlled. And they've got a religious system. And the people are supposed to follow it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is coming in. He's changing everything. And, and he's getting more popular. And people are saying, have you heard the teachings of Jesus? He says this. You religious leaders say this. And, and he says this. There's a freedom that they're attracted to. And so the authorities, they love, they would love that Jesus has just rejected his mother. Because they know the Ten Commandments like the back of their hand. And they know that number five, number five is honor your father and... That's right. See, that's my boys. High five from a distance. Yes. Honor your mother. The authorities know that. They're just like, oh, this is so good. This is a gift. Jesus is now in front of all these people saying, who's my mother? How, how much more could Jesus be dishonorable here than he's just claiming, oh, this stranger over in the corner, he's as good as my mother and brother and sister. So he's like, this is great. <laughs> they think he's an outlaw. The family's probably thinking he's in danger now. Now he's just blat- openly breaking the Ten Commandments. We're never going to come back from this. But what they didn't know was that Jesus was actually transforming society's understanding of what the family should be, of what the family will be later on. He, see, he was looking at an eternal view. He knew that eventually these authorities will kill him, but that it's all part of a greater plan, that after that he's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to create a new system that society will not even be able to comprehend, because it's going to go past societal pressures, and it's going to go into eternity where everyone can be as close to Jesus as a brother, a sister, a mother, all under the heavenly Father God. And so what does this mean? What does this mean for Mary? Well, Jesus offers an eternal family for Mary, without a doubt. Mary can still be family. She will still be his family, and she will still be close to him. But our assumption in earthly society, we assume Mary will be closer. Jesus is trying to tell something different. He's trying to look to the future. And the brothers, too. The brothers, they can still be family. They'll still be brothers. But this idea that bloodlines are more important than the spiritual, Jesus is crushing that. Because Jesus is also saying to the crowd in front of him, now he was Jesus, he's God, he knew their names, but ideally, maybe some of them he just met that day. He hasn't even formally met them, maybe. And and he's saying, look here, this is my mother, my brother, my sisters. And so the crowd of followers is as close as mom and the brothers? Are you crazy, Jesus? But he's on a whole other level. And it's not until we as a society remove ourselves from the worship of family, because we do that, I get it, 
I'm a dad of three boys. They mean everything to me. It is so tempting to place them up on a pedestal. Why would I do that? Place my son so high just so they can be crushed. It doesn't work like that. But we put so much value and authority on our spouses and our children, and we raise them up to this huge standard of expectation that who can live under that pressure? And we wouldn't outwardly say, oh, I worship my family, but if we actually look at our heart and if we're serious, who's at the center of our universe? Sometimes it's our family. That blood is the most important thing. And in that, Jesus becomes secondary. And Jesus is just pushing against that societal pressure big time. Because Jesus is now saying to the orphan whose parents died, your family, not distant family, You're like my brother, my mother, my sister. He's saying to the disowned one, the one that the parents didn't want, maybe for financial reasons or they just didn't care, some sort of addiction, or and and they said, No, we're giving him away, giving her away. We we just we can't have them. We're disowning them. Or maybe they've done something wrong. Jesus says, Your family. And that doing something wrong, that goes right to the black sheep. The one who rebelled aggressively, who screamed at his parents and kicked the door and left, never to be seen again. And now he feels the remorse, the shame, the regret. Even the black sheep that's done everything wrong from how society looks at things. Jesus then looks at him in the corner of the room and he says, your family, and not distant family, you're as close to my brother, my sister, my mother. That is radical. That should be as radical to our society as it was back then. It's craziness. And, and for the family, for those of us that, that are blessed to have a family that loves us and that we love, that's a huge blessing. But it's two things. One, it's a sobering perspective that we need to stop worshiping that family and put Jesus at the center of our kingdom. But it also does a beautiful thing for us families that it relieves the pressure. That in that car ride where everyone's screaming and throwing things and, and, and everything's just chaos, we, we, Jesus alleviates the pressure because he says the authority doesn't rest here. The authority doesn't rest outside. That whoever sees you for who you are, you can be authentic. You can be yourself. That, that in Jesus' family, in this family, there's forgiveness and you do not have to worry who sees you because as you start letting out the garbage that everyone knows is in your life, and as you start letting out the imperfection that everyone knows in your life, as you start embracing the authenticity that Jesus can give, everyone around you experiences that freedom. Because then all of a sudden you can say, you know what, my family, it is a mess sometimes. I got this going on, I got this going on, and I don't know what to do. Because you know what, everyone around, I'm a pastor, I hear some crazy stuff. And as crazy as you think your family are, You're right, but everyone else is too. It's the way it is because we're all sinful and fallen and we're so tempted to put ourselves in the center of our own universe and it all falls apart. But Jesus offers a reset. Total equality, full authenticity. You're all my brother, my mother, my sister under one holy God, the Father. It's amazing. But then we can never forget about the one, the solo whose families left them or they lost their family. Because in the church that Jesus created, in his bride, his body, all these different symbols, there's always room. 
And for the person who has no family, and if they're to be honest, they're full of anxiousness and depression and anxiety because they're all alone. They're just flat out lonely. There's no amount of Netflix that they can watch that'll make them feel like they belong. There's no amount of Instagram photos they can take to make them feel like they belong. There is nothing they can do, nothing they can drink, nothing they can smoke, nothing they can do to make them feel like they belong to something authentic and real and satisfying. And this is why Jesus created the church. And Mountain View Church is striving to be that church. We're not perfect but we're embracing the fact that we're not perfect. And this is what Jesus is saying is, you belong as closely as my father, or as my mother, my sister, and my brother, all under the heavenly father. That's crazy. And so maybe you're here today, and, and maybe, maybe there's a repentance moment. Maybe you really have been like worshiping your family. And if you're to be honest with yourself, your family is your first love, not Jesus. Why would you put that pressure on them? Release that. They can't handle that. Don't heap that on them. They can't handle it. You put that on your children, they'll be crushed. You put that on your spouse, he or she will be crushed. They cannot be your everything. If your children and your spouse, your family is your everything, they will disappoint you. And the pressure you've put on them, it will disappoint them. Do not put family as the center of your existence. It's not the center of your universe. But then maybe for those of you, you haven't placed family as the center. You, you maybe have said, no, Jesus is the center of our family. Then allow this to just rest on you and be a blessing that Jesus relieves the pressure that he wants to take central. And he wants to invite all people to help belong to something greater, something that you've been blessed with and be thankful that you have that family. So in this moment, you can pray in thanksgiving or maybe repentance, I don't know. But for the person, maybe you're alone and you've been looking for a family for a long time. You've been looking for a place to belong. I am telling you right now that Jesus Christ brings that. And we would welcome you into this church wholeheartedly and we would be willing to be your family and you need to do nothing other than give your life to Jesus. That's it. With Jesus comes an eternal family. Because we understand when we get to the next life, there's not going to be husbands and wives. There's no grandparents and parents. In heaven, the Bible teaches us that we're all brothers and sisters. Isn't that a crazy thought? My dad will be my brother. My son will be my brother. My wife will be my sister. See, in eternity, the playing field gets even. And Jesus is trying to bring some of that to our current society to alleviate the pressure and to bring freedom. And so I'm going to pray right now, and if you want to pray with me, you can either give your life to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you just need to pray and be thankful that, that you've come to the understanding of, of the family of Jesus. And so if you want to pray, you can pray with me, um, or just pray to yourself your own words, and you can choose today to belong to Jesus' family, to be the, be the family of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner I've put myself in the center and it's getting me nowhere. I've put my family in the center and all it's done is add pressure. Father, today I make a decision to put Jesus center. 
I believe you sent your son to die for me and my sin and died to be center, but then rose again to conquer that sin, to conquer death, and to provide a way to freedom, to tear apart society's view of bloodlines and family hierarchy, to even the playing field, and that anyone who turns to you may become a brother, a sister, a mother. Father, today I choose to give my life to Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus. I thank you for welcoming me into your family, and I wholeheartedly accept that welcome. May I look at the people around me in a different way. May I see them as valuable as my own family. May I see them through the eyes of Jesus as he looked over that crowd and said, here are my brother, my sister, my mother, all under you, the Heavenly Father. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.